Hey everybody, it's Kat, and I want to welcome you to another episode of Backstory Sessions. I'm joined today with my co-host, Matt. Hello everyone, how are you? Uh, Matt, this is uh, Milestone. This is episode 25. That's right, I believe it is. I hope it is. Yeah, it's, it's <laughs> like, uh, I don't know, quarter of a century old. Yeah, um, yeah or, or... Moving right or along. Call somebody who cares. You know, <laughs> you know. Uh, but it's it's exciting. I mean, it's it's a milestone. So I'm um, I'm really it's a really important topic too. So I'm really yeah, can't yeah wait definitely to it is. I'm uh, excited yeah. to hear what uh, you know. Hear more about this. So uh... well, our our episode today is about PTSD. And Sarah was a backstory to how we got to this episode. Um, Matt wrote a play called In Color for uh, the KTA Bake Off, which actually ended up winning first place. And um, one of the, yeah, I know, it's <laughs> great. And it was a great play. It was a really uh, very, you know, a different writing style for you, I think. I know it was, I did not expect that to be the direction that you went, but um, it was very powerful. And um, I remember some of the reactions that people were typing in the chat as they watched it, you know, that it was very emotional. But one of the characters, you know, suffered from PTSD. And so... You know, what made you go in that direction? Um, I don't really know. I think it was the uh, ingredients of the bake-off. They give you five different things that you have to include in the play. And uh, they were just like off-the-wall things like uh, a talking horse. And I think Andy Bashir was in there. And uh, uh, just a couple other things. And I was a flash mob. And... So, you know, somehow you have to incorporate all these things into a 10-minute play, and it was challenging, but, um, you know, it was just, I just came up with the idea to uh, give this guy uh, some, I guess, just to give him PTSD, and then I included some statistics at the end that I found pretty fascinating, and... Uh, so, uh, you know, it, it was interesting to write. Um, generally, I try and write things that are funny or I think are funny or whatever. And there are elements of this that, you know, display that uh, are humorous. But uh, it is a serious topic. And, uh, you know, I wanted to try and bring some, I don't know, some awareness, I guess, to, the, you know, things that people suffer from and uh you know things they go through so i think that was the the main thing for writing the play well and i think this podcast episode is gonna uh, play off of that well and um give at least our goal is to give some awareness and also some resources for people that may be listening that think they may have ptsd or you know, people that have uh, actually been diagnosed. Just, um... Yeah, it was, uh, you know, we had posted a, uh, a poll on, uh, on the Facebook page and got some really interesting responses to it. Uh, so 
So, uh, you know, I, I think it's probably more prevalent than we think it is. Um, you know, people generally associate it with military vets and things like that. But, I, you know, there are other events that trigger PTSD or can cause it, I would guess. So uh, we're going to find out about that here shortly. Well, we have a really um, interesting guest today. And, and I say that because, um, you know, we, we posted the information about the episode and who was going to be on it. And um, whenever you get comments, this is how um, people that know him, like they have commented, he is one of my favorite humans. Um, he is a great person. And another one said, one of the greatest people I know. So, you know, when you get comments like that about your guests. Oh, that wasn't about me? No, it, huh. it surprisingly, <laughs> it was not. Um, wow. <laughs> you know, we, um, we have some other descriptors for you that we'll do on another episode. <laughs> Or maybe we'll do like after, you know, when you might have PTSD from the comments. Um, you know, I, I, <laughs> I don't want to make a joke about that. You know, it is a serious topic. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, those are the things that describe our guest. And so I want to welcome uh, Dean Whitaker to our show. Welcome to Backstory Sessions, Dean. We're really excited to have you and um, uh, the information that you're going to be able to share with people today. Thank you so much, Chad and Matt, for having me um, come and share a little bit with you today. Um, it's a privilege. Well, why don't you uh, tell us a little bit about yourself? You know, people have described you as a great human, and uh, you know, so how did how did you get to be that way? And uh, what is it um, that sort of led you down this path of um, you know of working with people that have PTSD? Sure. Well, uh, the comments that you're referring to are both from former students. I was a uh, campus minister for 25 years and 18 of those years at University of the Cumberlands. And so those were two former students. And, and you have to remember that they said one of the best humans, which means uh, not perfect, but human. <laughs> and so uh, at any rate, uh, I, those were very generous and, and kind comments. But um yeah, I was a campus minister for uh, 25 years working with students um, on several different types of campuses. I was at Virginia Tech for one year um, during my seminary years in training um, and also at University of Louisville and then Alice Lloyd College, Prestonsburg Community College, Hazard Community College, and then finally landed, uh, well, Spalding University, and then landed at University of the Cumberlands for 18 years. Um, when uh, a series of different events happened about five years ago and I left uh, University of the Cumberland and campus ministry, I began to do training for chaplaincy. And um, the training program is uh, called Clinical Pastoral Education, CPE. Um, and I was fortunate enough and blessed, I think, to be able to do my training at the Lexington uh, VA Medical Center, and so they have a, a very strong, uh, wonderful program there. 
and I did an internship and then was asked to stay on for a full residency. And then I was asked to stay on the second year for a mental health uh, fellowship, a specialty year of working with uh, veterans who were in residential treatment for PTSD and or substance abuse, and then also working in the mental health unit at the, at the main hospital. Um, so that's kind of how I got that, that is how I, I got any information about working with people. PTSD, as you've said already, is um, it's, it's um, one, one definition is any shocking and dangerous event that we see or that happens to us. You know, and, and the, the truth is, is two, two, two separate people can uh, experience the exact same event and one person may walk away with symptoms and signs of PTSD and the other one may not. An interesting um, fact is that seven to eight percent of the U.S. population has experienced some sort of PTSD, whether that's been diagnosed or not. Wow. But that's that's dealing with the diagnoses. So, so that's probably way more people have actually experienced something. But yeah, about eight million people each year have some sort of treatment or conversation with uh, with medical experts about uh, PTSD. So if if I'm listening to this and uh, you know I'm I'm thinking like well you know I'm having this or I'm having that you know what is the this or that that might might mean that I you know maybe going down this path of PTSD like how how would I know? Okay, yeah, that's a great question. Um, I'll go ahead and and give a couple more statistics, and I want to make sure to point out a lot of wonderful information that I'm sharing today and that that folks can look at and and, uh, explore on their own is on uh, the National Center for PTSD webpage, which is basically ptsd.va for Veterans Administration.gov, G-O-V for government. So ptsd.va.gov. the statistics that they give, 60% of men and 50% of women experience some trauma in their lifetime. Out of those 60%, 4% of the men and 10% of the women experience signs and symptoms of PTSD. And again, those are just the diagnosed um, statistics. Um, but yeah, so one of the most troubling uh signs or symptoms of PTSD is the inability to focus or to sometimes dissociate. In other words, the uh, trauma has impacted you so greatly that it's hard to focus, it's hard to concentrate, and you may have periods or moments where you just look like you're lost in space, literally, and uh, then have to be kind of somehow reconnected and grounded back to your reality. Uh, another symptom uh, is uh, insomnia uh, or the ability to, once you do get to sleep, um, you can be uh, awakened by night terrors or, you know, just just a lot of trouble with the sleep situation. Hypervigilance, that is, always feeling on edge. And, and for instance, a person with PTSD, might, one way that, that family or uh, friends may, may start to notice would be some of the uh, activities or events that a person normally enjoyed, like maybe going out to eat, for instance, uh, somebody with PTSD might begin to 
just stop, you know, just start saying, no, no, I, I don't want to go. I don't want to be there. Uh, and part of the reason for that often is because that person finds it hard to be in a crowd. And when they're in the crowd, uh, there's just this uh, overwhelming sense that they have to be vigilant to make sure that they're going to be safe. Um, um, most of the time, uh, a person with PTSD does not enjoy sitting with their back to people, but they want to have their back to the wall so they can see what's going on around them. Um, and certainly not everybody who prefers these things has PTSD, but these are some, um, some visible, tangible signs and symptoms uh, of a person that may have PTSD. Well, how does this affect, uh, I mean, because it sounds like, um, you know, when you stop wanting to go out and do things like, so with your friends and your family, you know, what kind of impact does it, does it have on, on them when you kind of withdraw, I guess, from, you know, doing things that you used to do? Yeah, certainly relationally, it's uh, very difficult. Um, it's a difficult disease to, to deal with or disorder to deal with um, because uh, the person kind of is not themselves. Uh, they may be uh, really quick to, uh, you know, to lose their temper or to uh, just over escalate real quickly uh, at, at just the, the least of it. For instance, you know, okay, traffic, none of us enjoy, you know, bad drivers or, or, or bad traffic, but a person with PTSD may, may actually just kind of go ballistic um, at the drop of a hat uh, because there's, it's, it's like, if you can imagine always living with an edge on everything, that it's very difficult to actually relax. It's difficult to breathe. It's difficult to uh, just enjoy because there's this constant, feeling internally that at any moment some major trauma could happen again. Uh, something that's out of your control may uh, just rock your world so so greatly. So, so, so there's, it's, it's really, really difficult to actually focus, concentrate, relax, enjoy. Um, and, and those are, um, you know, it's not every person who has these um, situations going on has PTSD, certainly I've said that. And I think that's really important to name because, you know, all of us have uh, grumpy days or we're, we have, uh, you know, I don't, I don't want to be around people today kind of situations. Uh, but a person with PTSD, that becomes more their norm than anything else. So it's going to be more chronic that this is the symptoms. Yeah. yeah. In fact, I, I know that one, uh, one thing I read on the, uh, webpage for the ptsd.va.gov was that uh, there needs to be signs and symptoms for more than three months that do not seem to be um, going away. In fact, they may be getting worse. Um, so, so yeah, it's, it's not just, okay, I'm having a bad day. It's that my whole world has been sort of turned upside down. And so it, is it um, because it, I guess an, an event triggers this is is that right like so yeah. you experience some event that sets all this into motion um yeah. but then in the in your daily life 
um, it doesn't necessarily have to be anything related to that event. Um, you just begin to fear like a lot of things or you um, start to anticipate that something horrible might happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, and, and again, I'm I'm not speaking medically because I'm not qualified right. or trained or even have that knowledge, but, but just working with folks um, who have had PTSD and I myself have had, uh, I think, mild PTSD from several different things that happened uh, in my own life. Um, I've, it's never been formally diagnosed, but some of the same signs and symptoms uh, I've had to deal with at different points. Um, I will say this, that um, if a person feels that they may, they or someone that they know may be suffering from PTSD, it's really important to help that person maybe try to um, See if you can can destigmatize first and foremost that that may be um, a problem because the person who ha- who truly has PTSD is going to be really hesitant to talk about the fact that they think they might have PTSD. Um, for instance, um, military veterans, particularly those in Vietnam, uh, those with PTSD, typically they don't want to wear their Vietnam veteran, you know, caps or. Whatever. In other words, they just—it's like you try to put it behind you, but you really can't. And and so um, I don't know if that's making sense or what I'm trying to say. But but uh, a person who is constantly talking about their PTSD might not actually have PTSD. Not to say that they might not have had some trauma, but post-traumatic stress disorder is. Um, it's just, it's long lasting and it never fully goes away. You can just learn tools um, to be able to manage and to be able to bring as much healing as you can um, to yourself. And so, you know, that, that in itself is a pretty like scary thing to, to know that, you know, once that trauma happens to you, that, you're never going to be fully yourself again, I guess. Um, yeah. That you can just minimize going forward, you know, as best the treatment allows. But um, and it's, it's kind of related to just typical grief as well, Kat. Um, you know, with grief, people talk about getting over your grief, but uh, we don't ever... This is this is partly my opinion, partly there is research to, to, to back up, but um, we learn how to manage our grief. Um, grief doesn't fully go away, but we learn to manage it. Um, it's 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 kind of one of those things that we just have to learn a new normal. And I know you mentioned something that I think is something we all need to pause and 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 consider. Um, our world has been in what I like to think of as chronic grief. For the last year, um, sure. with with uh, you know the coronavirus and and all of the, we're still in the middle of that, so we really don't have any idea uh, exactly what some of the effects are going to be. Particularly, I think for younger kids and maybe even teenagers, um, because their world has been shaped by something that we've not we've we've, we've not been able to go there before, so we don't we don't know uh, 
what the traumatic effects may or may not be. But we're all in, we've all been in, a, in, in trauma for an extended period of time here. So um, I do think that it's something that, that we should not be overwhelmed with that we, that we think there's no hope because part of the point in treatment for PTSD is to help a person regain a sense of hope and that there is help and there's a way to heal. Um, it doesn't fully go away, but then again, maybe, maybe difficult things don't necessarily need to go away, but we need to learn to um, bring light and bring life and, and, and uh, hope into a situation that may seem so overwhelming. But um, I want to shift gears, if it's okay, for just a second um, from that train of thought to uh, some of the information that can be gained by going to this webpage. Um, they have a series of whiteboards, and it's uh, basically um, cartoon-type drawings, but it's many presentations that deal with everything from what are some of the treatments, uh, how can it be diagnosed, uh, that type of thing. And uh, certainly, in order to have a diagnosis, you need to see a medical professional and uh, have an evaluation. Um, you mentioned something about who, who um, you know, what, what, what could a person do? certainly make a, a, an appointment with a, um, a family doctor or whatever, but then um, seeing a, a counselor, a therapist, a psychologist um, is pretty important too. Some of the therapies that are used uh, to treat PTSD include um, prolonged exposure, which is, is done under the supervision of a medical professional. Um, CBT or uh, cognitive behavioral therapy, in particular CBTI, which is uh, behavioral therapy, by changing how you think, it, it changes your behavior, and particularly with insomnia, because as I said, sleeping uh, orders and disorders are um, a major part of PTSD. Um, there's also CTT, which is uh, cognitive processing therapy, which is basically being able to have a therapist help you walk through and process through thoughts and feelings. And and uh, generally, a person needs to be in those types of therapies um, for three to four months um, at the minimum or to start to see uh, some, some uh, effect or some difference. Um, there are medications that can help with, with uh, some of the symptoms, uh, antidepressants, certainly. Uh, there's actually a nightmare medicine called Prevacin that can be uh, prescribed in certain cases. Um, those are just, those are things, again, that, that anybody can learn uh, more about by, by looking on the webpage. But also, I would suggest any person who is having uh, chronic sleep or night terrors, um, if you're having um, just a short fuse, like, you know, it can be something as minimal as a loud noise and you have a huge startle reflex and, and it sends you into a space of anger and, and uh, you know, defense that, you're, that you feel like you really have to live. Uh, those are some, some things that can be, uh, need to be noticed and at least taken to a medical health professional. And so if a listener is out there and they recognize this in someone they they love, 
um, you know, would would you think that they should maybe approach that person with their concerns or, you know, how, how do they deal with it if they're the, the, the person that's recognizing it and maybe the person that's experiencing it, uh, you know, is just marking it off to, oh, I didn't sleep well or, you know, whatever. Yeah, I, you know, I'm I'm a proponent personally of trying to be as um, um, forthright, I guess, in what your thoughts and feelings are. So, if, you know, if, if somebody that you love and their behavior is starting to affect you in a negative way, um, I think it's good to open up the communication with the person and at least own your part and say, I'm having difficulty because I'm watching seems like you're having difficulty and 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 maybe suggest you know i would like to uh to uh talk to a professional about about the impact of of what's happening between us on me would you like to join me in that because i'm going to explore this for my own health or my own benefit i think that type of approach owning as much as i can about about me and my how things are impacting me um, it's harder to um, debate that. It's harder to battle that you know, for the other person to attack that. Um, and certainly it's uh, the most proactive way uh, that the person who's saying, if I'm owning what happens for me, uh, that's me taking responsibility for myself. It's my ability to respond to a situation that I think you know needs attention. And I think sometimes that all, that kind of disarms the person because one thing uh, that you would not want to do is constantly seem like you're being combative with the person or that, you know, you're um, judging them, that you are um, accusing them. Um, and that's, that's difficult sometimes for, for a caregiver to, to do with somebody that they love. Um, but I think that's a really important point is to keep it in, in how this is affecting you personally rather than you are having problems with this. So I want you to get help. You know, I think uh, we're I'm having problems because we're having problems. Um, I think that approach sometimes can personally, I think that that works better. But. So what would you say to um, the people out there that, you know, they hear this and they're like, well, you know, everybody has somebody pass away suddenly or everybody has some bad experience in life. And that's just the way life is. You need to be tough, suck it up, go on because, you know, that's what people need to do. That's what I do. You know, so, you know, what do you say to those people that really think it's just a choice? you know, that you can just turn this off and um, push forward. Yeah, you said something, Kat, that I think makes a good point that the difference between PTSD and just grief, um, with grief, I mean, grief is any time situations change that I feel there's a loss. I've lost something, and that's grief. PTSD is not not just that I've lost something, but this was a shocking and dangerous event, something that harmed me or had the potential to, to truly harm me. That's that that certainly causes grief, but 
PTSD is about the danger factor that, okay, this is, this has, um, made me realize that, you know, my life was in jeopardy. And so, um, I think that's a key thing to remember. So, you know, um, certainly, yes, we do, you know, the statistics show that, uh, like I said, you know, 8 million persons in the U S per year will have some type of a traumatic experience. Um, but that's different than, 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 than grief. You know, it can be car, car accident, um, certainly sexual abuse, physical abuse, uh, even emotional abuse or mental abuse. But any time when a person's shot and in danger and they are trying to regroup from that event that occurred to that. Well, I know um, in some of the examples that, you know, people commented when we posted this about PTSD, um, you know, the one person, um, they had gone in for surgery and um, gone into cardiac arrest. Yeah. And so in, and everybody, I think, could understand how that would be a traumatic experience. And I know one thing she mentioned was that, you know, anytime her heart rate would drop, like later after she was recovered and, you know, out of the hospital and going about normal life that she was afraid to go to sleep um, because of her heart rate would, you know, start to, to go down um, as it does when you, you know, are resting, she would be afraid it would stop. So that was an ongoing, you know, result of that trauma. And so that of course was affecting sleep because she didn't want to go to sleep for fear that, you know, she wouldn't wake up or um, that this event would happen again. Um, you know, so things like that are yeah, so, so hard. Are, yeah, that they're equally as traumatic, you know, because I think uh, there's a, 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 a commonly held misconception that, okay, PTSD is for people who've been in combat. Or, um, you know, but no, I mean, certainly, and, you know, it's, it's, it's true that there are some folks who have been in combat who weren't as troubled with PTSD symptoms as others. Um, so I have no uh, knowledge about how or why that happens. Um, there may be some research out there that suggests certain tendencies or whatever. But um, it's important to recognize it's not just combat. It can be, you know, a, a really horrendous uh, car wreck or uh, a surgery, life-threatening surgery, or um, as I said, you know, some kind of a physical attack or sexual assault, or um, it, there's just a, a a whole lot of different possibilities that one person, whether they've had maybe a predisposition toward it, there is statistics that do indicate that a person who has suffered one traumatic event uh, has a greater likelihood of struggling with PTSD if on um, or another traumatic event that happened. So we do know that um, that it's it's something that you know. One of the things um, to uh, Matt and Kat that um, I think uh, was helpful for me personally, and is still a tool that I use, and that I used um, not only for myself but with the veterans that I worked with in treatment, was uh, 
trying to understand that we are a whole person, body, mind, spirit, and, and soul, whatever, whatever uh, different people have different uh, conceptions of what that means, but uh, I sort of put together a framework called soul care, uh, spirituality, or, or, or learning to care for my soul, and I, I define soul as I don't have a soul, I am a soul. My soul is who I actually am. It's my being. It's the essence of, of, of who I really am. And um, spirit is um, that intrinsic part of self. That it's not my mind and it's not my body. And we know what our mind is. We know what our body is. But there's a real part of our self that's not the mind, it's not the body, but it's a very uh, crucial part of who we are. And that, that's what I think is our spirit or our heart, or our inner person, you know. And so um, the model that I, I use and have uh, used with other folks is to see the connections between those four parts that make us a whole person and emotions that we have. I see that, I believe that emotions are just energies. They're not good, they're not bad. But they have the capacity to help us navigate our way through uh, whatever life brings to us living, uh, not just necessarily trauma, but um, just in everyday living. Um, the model, and this is based on a lot of work by Richard Rohr, uh, by Tom Daly, um, and just some other folks that I've read um, and, and seen. Um, but basically, um, guilt and shame are the emotions that regulate the soul. And by that I mean, um, if I can I have guilt when I know that I've maybe not done what's best for myself or I've uh, done something that I know is not the best for myself. I feel a sense of guilt. And guilt can be a good motivator because, you know, if I eat that second piece of cheesecake, uh, then I know, you know, I feel guilty. That's probably not the best thing for me. And it can motivate me to decide, uh, should I eat another piece or, you know, or should I should I not? Uh, so, so guilt can be very healthy. Shame, however, is very toxic, and shame is when I internalize the actual guilt. So rather than just say, okay, I'm guilty that I ate too much cheesecake, that I begin to say I'm nothing but a glutton. I'm, I'm nothing but a, a you know, a whatever, whatever, fill in the blank with whatever um, definitive words. Uh, so, so internalizing a person's guilt causes shame, and shame is always toxic to the soul. Because shame is basically negating a person's being. And we get lots of shame messages from society, but we also shame ourselves quite a lot. And so if we can learn how to recognize guilt is a healthy motivator and name guilt for what it is, but that shame is, is always toxic and I need to find ways to... Um, deal with the shame that I feel. And the best way to, 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 uh, to deal with shame is to actually be able to, in a safe place and space, to be able to notice that that's what's going on and to name that and to navigate my way through it, not, not pretend it's not there, but make my way through it. And, you know, even the treatment for PTSD, uh, the prolonged exposure component, what that entails is, again, under uh, supervision of medical uh, personnel, uh, the person is encouraged to intentionally go into whatever the situations are that were triggers 
You know, for instance, okay, some people don't want to go to a mall because there's too many people and it's just too, it feels too unsafe. So um, prolonged exposure might be um, working your way into the point where you could actually go to a mall for X number of minutes and do X number of things so that you're training your mind and your body and your spirit to, to recognize that this 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 trigger that you've had doesn't have to have the power over you if you can choose to take your power back, basically. And I know I, I sort of segued from, from shame into fear, um, but I think fear is the gateway into the mind. And that fear navigated through turns into wisdom, the ability to be wise and not to be shut down. Um, I think that um, our spirit or our heart or our um, inner person, um, grief, pain, uh, you know, losses, uh, sadness, depression, those, those are parts of what can either open my spirit up or can really shut my spirit down or, or burden my spirit. And I think on the other side, if we can make our way, uh, see this as just energy, but that just like a coin, you have a you have a head side and a tail side, and it's the same coin. Uh, I think on the other side of grief and pain and sadness and loss is uh, love and compassion and caring, uh, empathy, um, and so um, caring for the soul, dealing with the guilt and the shame. Um, can open up the soul to be able to have a little more reserve, a little more energy, but then look at the spirit and go, okay, what losses, what what pain, what 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 suffering have I not dealt with? Because what happens if you do not deal with um, the sadness, the grief, the pain is we we try to find ways to mask it, or or to hide it, or to cover, or um, and that. Typically, uh, most of the um, work with addiction uh, will say that uh, underneath the addiction is a lot of grief, a lot of sadness, a lot of pain. And the person has learned to medicate in order to not feel the heavy emotions of grief and sadness or guilt or shame or fear. And uh, so finally, go ahead. um, how how would you so with the guilt like um how do you deal with the guilt part and and second guessing yourself because i i find that to be pretty common um that people you know after the fact they they didn't have the knowledge at the moment that they made the decision um but later when they have additional knowledge then they beat their stuff up, you know, with, I should have done this. I should not have put myself in that situation. I, you know, so how do you deal with the, the guilt that, you know, that you, you did the wrong thing, uh, but at the mm-hmm. time there was no way to know that was going to be the, the outcome. Like with the cheesecake um, story, you, you kind of know, you know, this is this many calories and, you know, what, what that's going to do to your, your diet for that day of whatever you've allowed yourself. Um, 
but you know, let's say it was some food that you had no way to know you were allergic to, for instance. But then, you know, you you let your child eat that food and, and they have this, um, you know, horrible um, allergic reaction and almost die. That might be a good example. Um, so then you would just beat yourself up. Why did I, you know, let my child have peanut butter cake or whatever when, you know, when you had no way to know that they were allergic to peanuts, Um how, how do you deal with that part of, you know, the guilt yeah. of that? Yeah, I, th- I think you you brought up some really good points, and, and I'll try to make some distinctions based on what I'm hearing you say. Okay. Um, I think there's, I think there's, we have to remember, first and foremost, there is no such thing as a perfect human. <laughs> and I sort of alluded to that earlier, uh, to say that I'm human just intrinsically means um, I have no perfection, um, but I'm in, I'm living in in skin with a mind and a soul and a spirit, and I'm trying to make my way through life uh, like other humans. Um, so there's no such thing as perfect. Number one. Uh, the second thing I think is um, there's no shame in being ignorant. I'm ignorant of a lot of things. Ignorant just means I don't know the difference. I just haven't learned that. I, I didn't know. So in the case of, you know, a parent gives a child peanut butter but has no idea that the child has an allergy to peanuts, uh, they were they were literally ignorant. There's no shame in that. Every all of us are ignorant about certain things. And by that you know, I think we use that word ignorant in such a uh, you know, negative connotation with it, you know, oh you're just ignorant. Um but the true meaning of that word just means that um I really don't know the difference. So sometimes we do things in life and we don't know the difference and and then we find out. You know, we learn through the mistake that we made that we didn't even know we were making. So there's that component. But then there's also, um, I do know the difference, but I choose to do something, you know, or say something or whatever. And in that case, okay, so maybe the parent was told that the child might have an allergy but chose to ignore that and just say, well, I want to try it anyway. And then they feel guilty because, yeah, I, I did something that, you know, was dangerous. Uh, that's guilt. Shame would be that person, that parent, not being able to let go of the fact that they made a mistake and that they chose unwisely. And they began to believe, I'm a horrible parent. I should have known better. I would have done this, this, or I could have done that. The shouldas, the couldas, the wouldas—those are shaming messages. And so I think that we struggle with the difference between: okay, I have chosen poorly, I made a mistake, or I didn't know and this happened, and I have guilt, or I have, you know, and and, and then, then then but taking that to the level of saying this makes me a horrible person or a horrible parent, that's shame. And shame is always toxic to the soul. It's toxic to, it's toxic to my very being. Um, it doesn't mean that I don't have shame and that I don't uh, wrestle with other people trying to shame me or me shaming myself. But it just means if I can know the difference, then I can maybe do something. I can choose to do something with that energy. The energy of guilt, if I can 
make my way through it, I can have peace. You know, I can say, um, I didn't choose the best thing, but it doesn't mean that I'm a total, uh, you know, waste as a human, uh, but that, 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 that I can choose next time to do something different. Um, so I think, I think there's, there's no real easy clear cut. Okay. Do this. And then you're so you, you suddenly don't have any guilt or you don't have any, uh, shame, but this tool that I'm talking about is simply realizing that the energies of emotions are worth paying attention to. And, and only I can actually tell what exactly what I'm thinking and exactly what I'm feeling. Now, you can guess that I may be feeling this, but for me to heal or move forward, I have to identify for my own self and take my power back, so to speak, uh, to notice exactly how much. So, so the exercise that, that I do with soul care is usually just doing a, a, an emotional self-regulation. So, for instance, you know, if we were checking in, uh, Kat, uh, you know, you, you would ask me, okay, Dean, uh, on a scale of, of one to 10, how much uh, frustration or anger are you feeling in this moment? And okay. if I could slow down and just notice, okay, uh, well, in this moment, I, I really don't feel any anger. So I think one, maybe, <laughs> or zero if I have none at all. And then you'd say, okay, well, there's no judgment here. We're, we're moving on. How much... Um, sadness or how how down do you feel how 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 lonely are you feeling what and then i would have to slow down and think okay hmm. well maybe about a four you know out of ten and then how happy content satisfied glad how, you know where are you on that spectrum and then i could say okay i'm about an eight you know things things are pretty good at eight out of ten so you got mad sad glad Afraid. How how much worry, concern, fear, um, anything in that family? How much of that are you feeling? And I could go, well, um, yeah, I'm at a little anxious. So okay, maybe a four, four out of ten. Then how about mad, sad, glad, afraid, ashamed? How about how much shame? How much guilt or remorse or regret are you feeling? And I could say mm, about a six. So what, what what's just happened if we do that? If we do, if we were doing that as what I call an emotional self-regulation check-in. What just happened is that you have given me space and time, number one, and an ear with no judgment, with no fixing, diagnosing, trying to tell me what I should do. You're just listening. You're just caring. You're just present. And so you've given me the space and the time and the, the ability for me to be honest with self and with you because I would trust you. Of course, there has to be a trust relationship between us, or I probably couldn't right. do this well. Um, but I've, you've, you've given me the gift of, of just hearing me, um, supporting me, and then I've taken my power to be able to be as honest with self and with you as I can be about what I'm actually truly feeling. And it's amazing how freeing that is, just, just to be able to do that. You know, it's not something that we typically do in our day-to-day, -day, you know, world. But I think it's the difference in, 
And, and it's kind of related to the concept of mindfulness uh, from Buddhist perspective of being able to, and not just Buddhist, but uh, just general perspective of, can I slow down, think about and feel what I'm really feeling? Don't don't get caught up in my thoughts. Don't get caught up in my feelings. Right. But be able to name them, just name them, notice them, and navigate my way through them, not hide from them, run from them, pretend that they're not there. But the more I can do that, then, I, then I'm being more empowered. And with PTSD, it's very, very important to have as many tools as you can to take your power back. Because part of what's happened in the trauma is some of your power has been taken from you. You know, the, the shocking, dangerous event has, has taken a little bit of yourself. Right. And, and, and you're trying to get yourself back. If that all makes sense. Um, it, it does make sense to me a lot. And I, I think, Matt, this is a good time to, um, to just recognize um, you because he, he actually, a lot of the times is that person for me that kind of um, slows my mind down to, you know, to get me to focus on, um, because I do um, suffer from PTSD and um, it manifests anxiety a lot. Um, so I think it's so important to have someone that, um, that can do that for you or that's willing to, uh, that's able to do that, um, just to mm-hmm. ask a question to give you that time to, you know, calm your mind down and focus on, you know, how you are feeling um, about that and not like try to, you know, to solve everything. Because when I'm having those moments, my mind is going in a million different directions and everything is fear. You know, everything is, you know, is this going to happen? Is that going to happen? I don't know what's going to happen. So I start feeling it in with all these possibilities um having someone that's able to to get that slowed down and to help me uh refocus is has been very important to me and um so matt is very good at at doing that (laughs) talking her down off the ledge (laughs) yeah (laughs) uh you know which which happens often um at, at times um I, so. Yeah, I mean, I I just try and you know, ju- I just try and help you see another dimension to what you're thinking. Like, you know, maybe it's not as bad as you envision it being, and uh, you know, maybe it doesn't mean what you think it means, or whatever those kinds of things. So. Yeah, and you know, it, it can't be as bad as I'm thinking because I'm always thinking the the absolute worst. Um, you know, when I'm when I'm having these, and um, no, just recently, I wouldn't say that. <laughs> <laughs> sure. but you know, just recently having COVID, um, which has been my fear um since i first heard of it even before it got to the u.s and i was just reading about it i have been terrified absolutely terrified you know of covid and i have 
you know, followed all of the safety things. I, I mean, I've been the one that's, you know, like, like every day watching Andy at four and trying to implement those things. And then uh, just the shock of hearing I was positive, Um, you know, at that moment, just hearing that, I I thought, uh, you know, ventilator, death, 18 days or less, you know, like, so just that moment that I heard it, my mind started going, to the the worst possibilities. Hmm. It's a very scary prospect, you know? Yes. And then, you know, uh, you make it through a day, two days, you know, and you think, okay, well, I'm, you know, I'm okay. Um, and then, you, you know, then I would read something that would be like, well, days five and then days 11 are the days you need to watch out for because, you know, (laughs) and so then I could not, like, you know, I I just, um, I would start thinking, like, ahead of, you know, like, oh, my gosh, you know, on day 11, I'm going to think I'm fine all this time, and then on day 11, it's going to happen, and, you know, then I'm going to be on the ventilator, and then I'm going to, you know, so it was just a constant, um, so the anxiety of it almost was the worst symptom. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, you know, yes, I, I lost smell and taste. I still have, I, I still don't have those, but what happens in your mind, you know, it puts a stress on your physical body as well. Um, yeah. and I think that's another thing with PTSD is it's not just the emotional, but, what the emotions do to you physically like you don't get enough sleep you know that's not healthy um so all these things like it's a very complex and horrible cycle that I think people just often dismiss as you know it's just something in your mind that you need to you need to watch tv or you know you need to read a good book or you know like that's yeah, you know, yeah. like that's gonna fix you. Just if you, um, if you'll just do this, you know, then yeah. right. There's no magic bullets. I mean, certainly those things are helpful things if they help relax you or they give you right. enjoyment. Or, but but it's it's uh, there is no magic uh, pill or or magic button to push to make everything go away. Uh, you said something too, Cat, and all that. I think it, I think it just underscores this notion that we are a whole person. We have these different components. We have our body. Nobody, you know, nobody says, oh, we, you don't have a body. Yeah, we have bodies. Uh, we have our mind, you know, our, our thought process, our brain. Um, we do have that inner part of ourselves that's not our body or mind, but it's a real part of who we are, and it's internal, and that's our heart or our spirit. And I think that who we are, the sum total of all that working together, is our soul. And so trying to find that homeostasis, that balance between healthy mind, healthy body, healthy spirit, healthy soul. I didn't say perfect. I said as healthy as I can be in body, mind, spirit, and soul. And recognizing that shame is, is, is you know, I said shame is toxic to the soul. Well, by necessity, if my soul is, is toxic, if, 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 if who I am is suffering, then my body is going to suffer, my mind is going to suffer, and my spirit is going to suffer. So it's a given. 
shame is the shame is the shame is a key um, component, and to heal from shame is going to impact health and well-being in all the other aspects of myself, my body, my mind, and my spirit. And so um, that's why I think it's really important um, in the work as a chaplain. Um, that that's how the work that I do differs from pastoring, a, you know, a congregation or being a, a, a religious guru of some sort. Um, because tending to the soul and tending to the spirit is important for finding that overall balance. Well, Matt, did you have any questions or comments about what we've heard so far? Um, so it seems like this is a very tricky thing to diagnose uh, because there's so many different aspects of it. I mean, following the you know um, following the premise that a traumatic event would trigger PTSD. I I wonder like how closely depression and PTSD are related. I mean, they are there are similar aspects to it, but uh, and it may be hard for people to tell which is which. Mm. Yeah, I think certainly you're right, Matt. Um, I think the thing for me that I try to separate the two this way is that. Most folks who suffer from PTSD tend to suffer from depression, and 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 often, and I didn't make this distinction earlier, but often uh, people, especially with combat trauma, um, and have PTSD, often struggle with substance abuse or substance misuse. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so not every person who is having some depression has PTSD, but most folks who have PTSD likely have some depression. Okay. That's, that's, yeah, that, uh, that makes sense, I guess. Um, uh, and I, I read somewhere that there are a, a lot of people that are misdiagnosed. Uh, I don't remember where I saw that somewhere online one of the websites, maybe even the one that you were talking about. Uh, You know, and that goes with the whole depression thing and then the stigma of mental health and, uh, you know, like people not wanting to seek treatment because they're afraid somebody's going to judge them and that sort of thing. Um, Yeah. Yeah, certainly. And, and, And you said that's a very key point to remember, that stigma you know, for all mental health situations, depression included, um, that's something that I think that we need to work harder as a society and as individuals um, to really combat that stigma because, you know, I, I, I would say this often to folks that I was working with, you know, so the doctor tells you you have uh, high blood pressure, are you going to feel ashamed that you're on high blood pressure medicine? Well, you know, why would you feel extra shame that you have to take a medication to help you with a mental health 
situation, you know? Yeah. Um, and I think if this society has made it that way, we, we can change that. Uh, I think programs like yours, like what we're doing right now, I hope that, you know, one of the greatest things to me from this would be that somebody began to be less judgmental and less um, dismissive of, of the mental health situation that's PTSD or depression or whatever other mental health issue that people have. Uh, so I think that that's one thing is just to be real advocates and um, and to talk about it because there's nothing, there's no shame in even just naming that this is a real dynamic, you know? Right. Uh, I know like the, the, um, the monetary costs of, of uh, you know, people being affected by PTSD and not being uh, diagnosed correctly is really high. I was surprised that, like, it ran into, like, the billions of dollars and, like, lost time and, you know, um, treatments for addiction and things like that that, uh, you know, could could be sort of mitigated by a correct diagnosis. So um, I think there needs to be better or, uh, you know, a more, like you were saying, like get it out in the open more so uh, people will understand it better. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because certainly, like you said too, uh, Matt, such a good observation that that, uh, economically, if a person... It has gone years and years as being undiagnosed or misdiagnosed. Um, a lot of the energy and time and and workforce could have been improved, you know, just by just 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 with this person getting the actual help that they would need to be healthier. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so that should be a motivator, hopefully, for not only for the person who may think that they um, have PTSD, but also for um, for family members, friends, people in general, you know, just to um, not be so quick to either dismiss somebody's symptoms or to just normalize something that's not really normal, if that makes sense. Not, not that there is a normal, but, you know, I mean, not, right. not to um, generalize that. Uh, for instance, I had a family member um, in years past. Um, he always slept on the floor. He um, was totally what, 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 what I'd thought of as not in technical terms, but like antisocial, you know, he was, he wouldn't come around a lot of people or whatever. And, you know, it was kind of like, um, everybody just said, well, that's just this person. And I think the truth is, um, and I think later years, uh, it was actually diagnosed. No, he was suffering from PTSD from having been in combat in Vietnam. Hmm. But, you know, for years it was just, he just accepted yeah. that, well, that's just he is. Right, but, yeah. No, I, think there's a, there, I think there's a lot of that where people just accept things as normal. And, you know, they may, like, some people may be experiencing PTSD and they don't know it or they, you know, they just accept it the way things are as normal. Like, uh, you know, I have nightmares every now and then and... uh you know, I have an adverse reaction to, you know, some idiot <clears throat> driving down the road. There, you know, like, uh, mm-hmm. um, 
So they, you know, they might just see, they might just view things as normal and uh, not seek treatment because that's, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't make sense to them that they might be suffering from something that they aren't acknowledging. Yeah. Yeah. And certainly that has become that person's new normal, but is that the normal that they want? Can they find another new normal that has less uh, anxiety, less? you know, uh, negativity about it, um, right. less physical ramifications, you know, not sleeping well, because you can't sleep because you sleep in the floor and you can't get comfortable, and, you know. Right. Sure. All righty. Uh, I'm sorry, Dean, anything else you want to add? Uh, you have a contact if people want to uh, get in touch with you. Um, um yeah, I just wanted to thank you once again for allowing me to take part with this and and the fact that you're bringing this to uh, to light and to the attention of the folks that will hear and and, uh, and uh, pay attention to what's what we're saying. Again, I, I do want to say the best resource is ptsd.va.gov. Ptsd va for veterans administration dot gov for government and there is a hotline there's a veteran line uh it's 1-800-273-8255 the 1-800-273-8255 that's the veterans line uh for uh crisis uh, and um just want to encourage any veteran if you are struggling with anything to please call that veteran crisis line because um you know your life is very important and matters and uh and there are folks who love and support you and want to help you to uh have more power and and, and get to the other side of what what may be troubling you so um it's so suicide, I, 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 I meant to ask earlier since you mentioned that um are the suicide rates um higher with uh, veterans with PTSD? Yes, yes, they are. Yeah. Well, that's and great. I, I we have a number. But again, if you go to that website, I'm sure that you can find the statistic, but yes. And the and suicide rate among veterans is certainly higher than the average population. Um, and so we do a lot to try to encourage veterans to know that there's people we love them and support them, and regardless, and like I said, I'll say it one more time. It's 1-800-273-8255, and that is the Veterans Helpline. And the webpage, again, ptsd.va.gov. Um, so we'll definitely post that um, on the Facebook group as well, so hopefully people will share it, and that's very important that people know where to, where to call for help. Um, or where to look for resources. Yeah, yeah. But thank you so much for having me uh, this afternoon uh, to join you guys, and uh, I appreciate everything that you're doing to, uh, to give stimulating and interesting topics and subjects to for us to enjoy. Yeah, we we well, we thank you for being here. Um, got anything else? Yeah, and he, he actually has been a, a great human, don't you think? Yeah, so, yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, it looks like the Facebook reviews were right. So. 
Well, thank you. I appreciate it. We really appreciate having you. And um, it's uh, it's been a great episode and and an important topic. So thank you again. You're so welcome. And uh, this is uh, uh, that kind of human talking to two other humans that are just wonderful, too. So thank you very much. Well, thank you. Uh, So, as always, if you have any questions, concerns, comments, or criticisms, especially the criticisms, you can send those to cat at irateplays at (laughs) outlook.com. And if you want to tell me how much you love the episode, you can contact me at, uh, uh, what is it, backstorysessions at gmail.com or matt at level event level11ventures.com and we will respond to anything that you have to say and uh, again if they're negative send them to Kat because she loves those things (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Dean again we want to thank you for coming uh, by and uh, talking to us about this really important topic Uh, there's a lot of sides to it that need to be discussed more Um, I think you gave some great information and uh we really appreciate you being here. Thank you so much, and I appreciate uh, you having me. All righty. And Kat, any, you got 30 seconds. Go. I definitely call the hotline number or look at the research page. We will be posting that information and also find a good support system um, and listen to uh, the things that Dean talked about that you can start implementing um you know find a friend also to check up on you and and to help you through your when you're having a really difficult time all right and with that we will end this episode we thank you again for being here and uh we'll talk to you soon take care